to True Crime Stories with Crimatorium. Thank you for joining Crimatorium for the case of Ninja Killer or Innocent Man. A cold-blooded killer or a wronged man. A Sanilac County man insisting tonight he is innocent even though he's serving life in prison for murder. Prosecutors claim Fred Freeman, a martial arts expert, is a dangerous criminal. He's been called the ninja murderer. He maintains they have the wrong man. Was justice served? You may think twice after seeing our report. Channel 7's Bill Proctor's here now. He's been working on this case. Tamajin Kenzu was 23 years old when he was sentenced to life in prison for a crime he could not have committed. The shooting and murder of Scott Macklem occurred on November 5, 1986, on the campus of St. Clair Community College in Port Huron, Michigan. No DNA, hair fibers, murder weapon, or footprints were found on the scene. There was an ammunition box with latent fingerprints on it that didn't belong to Temujin. Temujin has never owned a shotgun. Temujin Kenzu was born Fred Freeman and has since changed his name to honor his Buddhist beliefs. Temujin practiced martial arts as a young man, and he was quite accomplished. At the time of the murder, Temujin had one child and another one on the way with his girlfriend, Michelle Woodworth. The shooting victim, Scott Macklem, whose father was the mayor of the nearby city of Croswell, was a 20-year-old student at St. Clair Community College. His fiance at the time was Crystal Merrill, who was pregnant with his child. Crystal Merrill had previously dated Temujin, then known as Fred Freeman, and it was the investigator's theory that she was the reason that Temujin killed Scott Macklem. The truth of the matter was that Temujin had already moved on from Crystal and was in a relationship with Michelle Woodworth, who was pregnant with his child. When investigators spoke with Crystal Merrill regarding the shooting of Scott Macklem, she, along with her sister, informed them that they should take a look at Tamajan as he was heavy into ninja. They painted him as dangerous and controlling. After receiving this information, the police looked no further than Tamajan. At the time of Scott Macklem's death, Temujin and Michelle were attending a martial arts event at the Escanaba area of the Upper Peninsula, roughly 450 miles away from the scene of the crime. There were several witnesses that saw him and interacted with Temujin and Michelle. There was no evidence that tied Temujin to the murder of Scott Macklem, and as Kenzu's attorney said, detectives immediately concluded that Kenzu committed the crime and worked backwards to prove it. There were really large red flags in the case against Freeman, he said, but they had just trudged forward undeterred because they had some really undying belief that he's the guy who did it. Temujin was arrested nine days after the crime and agreed to take a polygraph test. Although he didn't take one then, he was administered one years later by an expert, and it clearly demonstrated his innocence. 
Emotions run high as a man convicted of murder gets the lie detector test he's waited nine long years to take. Tonight, Frederick Freeman is put to the test when he takes a polygraph examination that he was denied during the murder investigation. And Channel 7's Bill Proctor is here to tell us the outcome. Quite unusual that it would ever be denied in any case. Sure, especially in a capital case. Inside the prison walls today, we tested him. That was this morning. Just a few more minutes yet. Former Michigan State Police polygraph examiner Chester Romatowski conducted the test inside a conference room at the state's Macomb Regional Correctional Facility. Convicted killer Frederick Freeman responded to all questions. Most importantly, did he do it? In 1986, did you plan or arrange with anyone to kill Scott Macklin? No. Polygraph test was over this morning. The examiner told Freeman he had told the truth and passed the test. It's my opinion that uh, you didn't shoot Macklin. Thank you. He'd waited nine long years to hear that. It's all right. I've been saying it for so long, you know. Mr. Freeman uh, did not shoot Mr. Macklem. I, I feel very confident about that. Um, I don't believe uh, he's involved in the, in the shooting in any way. No interrogation of note was ever conducted. A defense attorney named David Dean was appointed to represent Temujin. During the trial, the St. Clair County Prosecutor Robert Cleland who is now a senior district judge, presented to the jury that the motive for the murder was to control Crystal Merrill. She took the stand and described Temujin as controlling and abusive and that he had told her he was high up in a martial arts organization. Kenzu wanted to mold her into his property, his handmaiden, virtually his slave, Cleland said. Photographs of martial arts weapons were shown in court during her testimony, weapons that did not belong to Temujin, further painting a false picture in the jury's minds. Temujin watched and listened in disbelief while his attorney made no objections. The prosecution presented three witnesses that they believed saw Temujin on the campus that day, including one that had been hypnotized by a college professor. But prosecutors insist there was evidence, one important witness in particular. It was a young man studying to fulfill his dream to be a police officer, Rennie Gobian, who was the witness, who saw Fred Freeman, he said, drive away from the murder scene that day. Later, he was hypnotized to help him remember the license plate he saw in the car. A jailhouse informant named Philip Joplin had written a letter to Prosecutor Cleland describing how Temujin enthusiastically confessed to the crime, and he too testified at the trial. The prosecution had to get around the fact that Temujin and Michelle were in Escanaba at the time of the shooting, so they presented to the jury without evidence that they could have chartered a small plane, hired a pilot to fly them nearer or to the location, then back to Escanaba. No pilot of this phantom flight was ever located, and no records of a flight taking off or landing in an airport from Escanaba to Port Huron were ever found. The prosecution surmised that a flight record hadn't been recorded for the plane or it could have landed in a field somewhere. Once again, no evidence of a flight or a pilot was ever presented. 
another piece of evidence Dean could have unraveled but didn't. Temujin's attorney, David Dean, had cocaine and alcohol addiction issues, and it affected his performance during the trial. He called nine alibi witnesses to the stand, testifying to seeing Temujin and Michelle, but didn't call the defense's strongest alibi witness, Michelle Woodworth, to the stand. And so I was with him that entire morning, that entire day. So I know would be on a shadow of a doubt that he did not do this crime and that he's been in prison for over 33 years. He and I were together at that same time. Uh, we woke up around that time. Temujin wanted to testify on his own behalf, but was told by Dean he couldn't. Frederick Freeman apparently never took the stand in his own defense, something the defense attorney in retrospect now says just may have been a strategic mistake. Jurors also say that hearing from the accused could have made a difference in a murder trial that ended with those 12 all-important men and women so close it could have gone either way. In the end, the jury convicted Temujin and he was sentenced to life without parole. This is considered a stiff sentence for a murder which didn't include aggravating circumstances. He's serving life in prison for a murder he claims he never committed, but tonight in the case of the ninja killer, one juror says he sent Frederick Freeman to prison for life based on speculation, not facts, not evidence. This is a case haunted by disturbing questions, among them a defense attorney struggling with his own drug problems in the middle of one of the most difficult trials of his career. It took jurors several days and many votes before they reached a guilty verdict that even now some, some of them question. At least six right away felt he was innocent, and six thought he was guilty. And the domineering people on that jury were able to convince the others. Ultimately, they came back guilty. And I was, in, in all honesty, surprised. Well, Prosecutor Cleland told the jurors that Freeman could have caught a plane from Port Huron to Escanaba, and the jurors, like Mr. Pellegrin here, believed it, as if it wasn't speculation. There are uh, pilots in a... Uh, Rest, restaurant, there's a restaurant there. They're waiting for things like this. Somebody comes in and uh, they say, well, we'd like to fly. And boy, they, they, they jump on it, see? But they never showed you a pilot? No, sir. And they never showed you a plane? No, sir. And they never showed you how it really happened? No, sir. It was circumstantial. It was all circumstantial. We have no evidence. Over the years, many people have worked on Temujin's behalf, and new evidence has been uncovered. The jailhouse informant, Philip Joplin, recanted his testimony on camera. He stated that Temujin actually strongly proclaimed his innocence. Joplin, who was transferred to a halfway house in exchange for his testimony, signed a legal affidavit stating as much. He's a small-time career criminal who wrote this letter to the prosecutor and then testified in Freeman's trial that Fred Freeman confessed to him while the two were in a holding cell in Port Huron. Now terminally ill with a host of ailments, he admits the letter was fabricated, the confession and damaging testimony all a lie. You were talking about Mr. Freeman. It says the dude was telling me, yeah, he did it, but you'd never be able to prove it. Did Mr. Freeman ever really say that? No. He said that he sh shot this guy with a shotgun. You know, the prosecutor's office told me that when I made that statement to make sure that I turned towards the jury and looked at the jury. But did Mr. Freeman ever say that to you? No. Did he ever say something about 
the victim screaming when he shot him. No. Did he ever say he used a shotgun to kill somebody? No. He says he was threatened when he wanted to back out of the testimony, but was rewarded when he did, with a ticket out of Jackson Prison to a halfway house. Taken out of the prison, back to St. Clair County, and never returned to Jackson Prison, and instead resentenced by the same judge that tried Mr. Freeman. It was an insult, of course. Just thinking I was so stupid I would even do something like that. Uh, to spend all my time to telling anybody who would listen that I'm innocent and suddenly to come forward and say, oh, but I'll tell you that I did it, and plus I'll tell you details about it, and that was, you know, that was very shocking. When this was presented to the assistant district attorney, he was told it was too late for that. Herb Wessler, a private investigator and retired Port Huron police officer who has worked on Temujin's behalf for 10 years, discovered that investigators showed distorted pictures to eyewitnesses in photo lineups, making it more likely for them to pick Temujin. Herb Walter is a retired police officer turned private investigator who worked for the Port Huron Police Department at the time of the murder. He says the more he looks into the case, the more red flags he sees in Kinsu's defense. At the end of the day, he, he's, he had nothing to do with this murder. And that's why I'm trying to help him. Many appeals have been filed over the years, and most have been denied on technicalities. In 2007, a judge granted a request for a new trial based on ineffective counsel due to Dean not calling Michelle Woodworth to the stand, stating that it was a critical error. She also determined that Cleland, the prosecutor, had solicited perjured testimony from the jailhouse informant. She ordered that Temujin be released or be granted a new trial. A higher court squashed that decision because the motion was filed too late. A few others among the many who are working on his behalf are his fiancée Paula, David Sanders, approving innocence out of Michigan, and the Conviction Integrity Unit, also known as the CIU. They have spent countless hours working on his case and are hopeful and optimistic that Temujin will be released soon. I spoke to Dave and Paula for this episode as well as Temujin. The following are some excerpts from those conversations. They provide more insight into the case, life in prison, and Temujin as a person. What What are you hoping to accomplish by this, by this, having this, just awareness or... Yeah, I, I think garner, garnering awareness and support, it, it, the call to action would be to ask the governor to grant clemency to Temujin to release him based on the CIU's findings of innocence. There's a couple different methods of release that could occur for Temujin, and they would include either the attorney general just dropping the charges and declaring him innocent based on the findings of the CIU. They could take it back. First, they're going to take it back to the county of prosecution, original prosecution, to ask that prosecutor to look at it and see whether or not they agree with the findings. We absolutely know beyond a shadow of a doubt that that, that, that prosecution is going to fight it and they're going to never admit what they did to him. We've I've personally spoken to the prosecutor, current prosecutor, 
prosecutor there in Port Huron. And, you know, he has already told me he doesn't believe that this was a wrongful conviction. He thinks it was a right it, that that the he, he was convicted correctly. Yeah, well, let me just start, start out that I think when most people uh, hear about this case and look into it a little bit, they are really, they find it unbelievable and really are, are aghast at what happened to him. He wasn't even close. He was 400 miles from the uh, from the site of the murder, and uh, there was absolutely no physical or forensic evidence that tied him to the murder. I, I think this is a case which happens every so often when the uh, the prosecutor and the police have tunnel vision and focus on Temujin because he was the at one time the girlfriend of the of Scott Macklin. I mean of of. of uh, Crystal Merrill, who was Scott Macklin's uh, fiance, Temujin had dated Crystal Merrill for a few months in the summer of '85. Uh, it would have been, and uh, they, I think, maybe they were together six weeks or so. Not quite clear about that. And then they they broke up, and uh, Temujin soon moved up to Escanaba and the Upper Peninsula, and kind of forgot about her. Uh, Temujin was quite the ladies' man. I mean, he had a lot of girlfriends. And to think that he would be upset with breaking up with uh, with Crystal, and I think it was really Timmons' idea to get out of there, and other people will tell you that. He simply lost interest in her and moved up north. What happened was I'd never written to anybody before in prison. One thing that I noticed right away is that just that I was just like, wow, this is not your ordinary prisoner is what I was thinking to myself. It couldn't be because he's just so well-spoken and he very intelligent. And uh, so I, I was very, you know, I was very struck by that. And then um, we just seemed to hit it off. And, you know, even just in the writings, um, you know, back and forth. So I, I can't remember if he had asked, I think he had asked me for my phone number. I think he said it's easier, you know, maybe to just to jump on a call. Do you want to just chat? Can I call you? And so I had given him my phone number. I said, sure. And uh, so then we started you know, talking back and forth. And, and then you could really tell, you know, just kind of the chemistry that we had as well um, on the phone. And he just had a great sense of humor and he does these voices and he was singing Kermit the Frog to me. And it was just laughing because he's just so, um, so personable and so likable. You know, we sort, we sort of just, our friendship just sort of bloomed from, from there. And I uh, went to visit him in the prison and we visited probably probably six or seven times before COVID hit. So, and then we just, it just, everything just blossomed from there. What a surprise, right? It, it was a huge surprise. I had zero idea intention of that ever. Like if you would have told me two years ago, three years ago, that, that I would have met somebody in prison and fell in love with them, I would have said, you're out of your mind. So he studied law. He has studied uh, Eastern religions, as you said. He's very much into the martial arts and you know weapons and throwing stars and different things like kukri and nunchucks and sai and kama and all of these different weapons but when he was younger his mom the reason that he kind of got into the martial arts was his mom was a little bit was was physically abusive to him and so he wanted to learn how to block you know her hits so that's why he kind of got in involved in into the martial arts um, and then he just became so good at it. You know, I mean, it was obviously not much of an issue with her after after he started getting into learning how to block. He was under some really expert, he had the opportunity to train under some really expert masters. And so he he just really thrived in that. 
I know that from the other people that I've spoken to in his life, he's always kind of fought for the underdog. He always kind of, you know, he's the, he bullies the bullies. So if there's other people that are, you know, getting pushed around or even in prison, I've had prisoners write to me and tell me what a great man he was and how they, how he protected them when he was in prison. They were about to get hurt and he stepped up for them. And that just doesn't happen very often. He also just... He, he, that's just part of his personality is that he's just, he's kind of very protective of other people and he fights for rights. So as an attorney or having law degrees that he has earned in prison, he uses that knowledge that he's obtained while in prison to fight for the prisoners that are in there. He's, he's highly, highly educated. He's highly intelligent. He's highly articulate. I don't know that I've met a smarter man in my life than Temujin. Uh, you'll be amazed at what he knows. He knows a lot about everything. I'll just say that. He really does. Because he studies in prison. Incredible memory. An incredible memory. He remembers everything. Right, Paula? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. So I, I was alone for a long time, and I had some... Paula actually wrote me... Um, she saw an article in the oh. canoe. Yeah, and it was just a very friendly letter. It was just, just asking if I needed any help. She wasn't trying to be my girlfriend. She wasn't hunting for a boyfriend. Just so you know, because there's a big misconception about some of the women that are with prisoners, and there's been TV shows about it, and they, they have a bad habit of defaming those women. Paula owned her own home. She has a very good job. She works for a, a major bank, and um, she did not need me in her life. Uh, I, I was really moved by her letter, and I, I get a lot of letters. Women will write, you know, I think because they see the media coverage. But yeah. this one was different. It was just somebody just wanted to be a friend. Do you need any, do you need any help? And do you have any good people in your life? And I thought, this is so sweet, you know? And she has been unbelievable. And yeah. uh, I never asked her to do anything for me. I never said, hey, I need your help. She just started doing all this stuff on her own. And one day she's like, I saw your Facebook. It's terrible. Let me fix it. And, hey, I'm, I'm contacting all these groups. And um, she's been, oh, she's just been amazing, Madeline. She's been unbelievable. Probably the most valuable thing we have is our freedom. I mean, it's yeah, yeah. with freedom, it allows us to pursue our interests, pursue relationships, and you really lost that. So how do you find? Yeah, yeah. You, you know, not only that, um, you you lose other things. Like uh, if you have a health problem, even if you have terrible insurance, you can probably go find some kind of help. In here, there's nothing you can do. You go to these incredibly indifferent. Uh, medical staff from these privately managed companies who's, you know, they're profit only companies and they make their profit by not spending the money that's given to them to care for us. So for example, we got a new company called Wellpath. They're terrible. And we just gave them $590 million, which is insane, half a billion dollars. And whatever's left over is profit for them. So they, and so what I'd like the public to understand about these prison issues is this is costing you so much more money than it should cost you, and it's producing a really bad product. You're not making these guys better. Guilty or innocent, you're not making them better. So to your point, which is a great point, prison should be humane because, first, I think it teaches bad men humanity. And secondly, I can tell you from the staff that treat us well, we act much differently with the staff that treat us well to those that are abusive, obviously. Temujin has several health problems and the prison system is no place to get the treatment he needs. He also has children and grandchildren whose lives he has missed out on. He was 23 years old when he was put behind bars and is now 58. The jury convicted him on flimsy evidence and he has lost everything that matters in life. 
If you believe that Temujin is innocent or at the very least deserves a new trial, please take a moment to email a letter to Michigan Governor Whitmer and sign the change.org petition. Instructions and links will be in the show notes. What happened to Temujin could happen to any of us or to our loved ones and friends. Thank you for listening and watching. And until next time, take care. You're gone. So I sing, I sing all night long. It's all I can do to carry on. The nights are cold, burning. I see your face in the stars that shine across the world.